Hello, world, and welcome to Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. That's me, author of my what-if year, ex-CEO, sometimes intern, coffee-obsessed mom. Extra Shot is a podcast, a talk show, an advice column. It's that and more, but really, it's about bringing some energy, enthusiasm, and insight into your day. Join me and my incredible friends, authors, actors, activists, and even other people whose jobs do not start with the letter A, for a half hour of laughs and delight. Because we all need an extra shot of something. Oh, hi. And welcome back to this episode two of Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. I'm hoping this means you listened to episode one and loved it so much you decided to come back. And if today is your first time here, well, welcome. Have I got a treat for you. Before I tell you about today's guest, I just want to give a shout out to my amazing partner for this season, Evolve Me. Evolve Me works with groups of women in midlife, so sound familiar, looking to relaunch, reinvent, or level up their careers, and with companies invested in attracting and retaining top female talent. They help their clients land new roles, start businesses, secure project-based work, gain confidence, find clarity, and launch the best chapter of their professional life. They describe Evolve Me's programming as life-changing and the best investment they've ever made. And you can be part of this too. They have a brand new reinvention collective cohort that's launching on October 24th. So do not delay. Learn more about them at evolveme.work. You can find everything you need to know. So I need to tell you a story about today's guest, Patty Lynn, before I share my wonderful interview with her. So Patty is a fellow Zibby Books author, and she wrote this book called End Credits, which is really all about her experience working as a TV writer for some of Hollywood's biggest shows. But before I read End Credits, which I loved, Patty read my book, My What If Year. And at the point that she read it, we had really only met over like Zoom calls and texts. And she just sent me the longest and most beautiful email with all of these things that she loved about the book and how many things she felt like we had in common. And it ended with an invitation. She said to me, when you come to LA, I just feel like we need to do karaoke together, which is a very difficult thing to say no to if anybody asks me that question, but especially hearing it from somebody like Patty. So when I reached LA on my book tour, it was stop five of six. And let me just tell you, I was exhausted. I had left Houston at 5 a.m. to get to my event at Zibby's Bookshop on time. I was really keeping it together. The bags under my eyes were so big, they probably needed to be checked under the plane. And I didn't know how I was going to impress this impossibly cool woman, Patty showed up in her leather jacket. She was everything I had hoped and more. And she was like, we really need to go do karaoke tonight. And do you know that experience when you meet someone and you just really, really want to be friends with them? That was 100% the experience that I had. So she said, we're going to meet at nine o'clock, somewhere called the Gaslight. And when nine o'clock rolled around, I was so tired, but I rallied because Patty has that effect on people. So my Uber drops me off at this bar. It looks like the bar at the beginning of Pretty Woman. It had a real mix of what I think of as LA characters. They were old and young. The floor was sticky with a combination, I think, of both spilled drinks and discarded dreams of stardom. And that night, we drank some strong cocktails. 
Patty belted out Radiohead with total reckless abandon, and she killed it. And I, of course, sang my classic, Share, Turn Back Time. But we had the absolute best night. It was one of the best nights of my entire book tour, which was full of amazing nights. And it reminded me that sometimes there are some things more important than sleep. Sometimes you have to rally and that there are many, many ways to fill your cup. And karaoke at the Gaslight with Patty that night absolutely filled mine. So let me introduce this beautiful songbird, today's guest on Extra Shot. Patty Lynn is a former TV writer and producer whose credits include Freaks and Geeks, Friends, Desperate Housewives, and Breaking Bad. She has also written pilots for Fox, CBS, and Nickelodeon, and her Breaking Bad episode was nominated for a Writers Guild Award for Outstanding Script in 2008. She is the author of End Credits, How I Broke Up with Hollywood, a memoir about her television career. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, and she is today's amazing interview on Extra Shot. How excited are you, Patty, to be here with me on Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez Miranda? I'm so excited that this is like your second interview that you've done. Second recorded. Yeah. And you asked me, what's this podcast about? And I was like, I don't know. I'm feeling a little bit like the Seinfeld episodes where they go, where Jerry goes to pitch his TV show. And he's like, it's a show about nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But see what happened to that show? Exactly. (laughs) But I'm just, you know, as I said to you, I'm finding people I find interesting. And frankly, I think if I find you interesting, others will find you interesting. And I know people are going to find you interesting, Patty, because we are at a very exciting time in your career. Yes, we are. Your book, your baby, (laughs) end credits will be out on August 29th. Mm -hmm. This episode will probably air after that. So I expect... You'll be a huge celebrity by that point, and I'll get tons and tons of viewers who just want oh to know about the deep inner details of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't share too much. <laughs> I mean, you, sh- but you share a lot. Judd Apatow called your book hilarious and brutally honest, mm-hmm. which it is. And a really smart person said it was a compulsively readable, totally riveting, fly on the wall <laughs> perspective on the cutthroat television industry that manages to be hilarious and heartfelt at the same time. That person was me, who I basically yes. forced myself to blurb your book because I loved it oh. so much when I read it. Please, thank you so much for doing that. I mean, I that was an amazing blurb. I love it. I will be reading that whenever I feel insecure and sad about bad reviews. <laughs> What bad reviews? Actually, printed my first blurb, and I still have it on my wall. And my first Goodreads review, which was very nice. When you're an author, mm-hmm. and you will have been through this, mm-hmm. and anybody who's written a book will know this feeling, this awkward feeling of having to ask people to blurb your book because it mm. feels—it's the worst. It is right. Like it's so uncomfortable to ask mm-hmm. for praise. And yet Mm -hmm. I just sent you a blurb. I was like, please, for the love of God, Patty, let me blurb this book because I loved it so much. I mean, that's why I was so thankful because it's like, I didn't even have to ask you, you know, like it's, that's great. That's like the best scenario. No, asking for blurbs is the worst. I'm, you know, I mean, it's just so uncomfortable, you know, I mean, you're basically saying to somebody, spend two at least, you know, a week if they're a fast reader, but probably more weeks of your time reading my book. And then if you don't like it, you have to lie and say that you like it. (laughs) 
Exactly. And you, and you have to write something that's like short and probably going to be on my book cover or something yeah. like that. So, right. That's a lot of know, pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But I actually think that asking for blurbs might have been my least favorite part of the mm-hmm. entire book writing, publishing, and promotional process. Yeah, really same. Same. Really what What was your favorite though? What of everything? Oh, man. I want to see oh, if it's. The, I want to see if it's the same as mine. Well, it was the promo. The promo because I'm a real really? ham, and I love people saying nice things about me. Oh. And so, but you haven't had that. You haven't had that part yet of your book process. So you never know; it no. could come up. What has your favorite part been? It's been recording the audiobook. Oh, I did love doing that. That was fantastic. That was so fun because you're you're there with your book and you, you're just in this little booth alone with your book and you're reading it from start to finish. You know, I mean, obviously I've read my book a million times when I've, you know, been editing it and stuff, but you it's very rare that you read the whole thing from start to finish and, and out you, loud where you're really out paying loud. attention. Exactly. And that's when you really get this sense of, you know, the cohesive nature of it. And I don't know, it just hits you in a different way mm-hmm. when you're when you're reading it out loud all at once. And, you know, and I found myself getting very emotional about stuff that I had not felt that way about in a long time because I had looked at it so many times, you know, yeah. it was just, it was really a magical experience for me. I'm so glad you loved it. Now you were concerned about what to eat and drink before and during your experience. I got several emails asking for dietary advice. So I'm guessing it all went okay. It sounds like it did. Uh, except for the the day that I decided to go to McDonald's on the way in. <laughs> <laughs> this, was, this was my brilliant idea is I went to McDonald's. I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's and I got an, a sausage McMuffin. Oh God. <laughs> And the the trick is you take the the hash brown patty and you put it inside the sausage McMuffin. He said that sounds delicious. It's so good. It's so good. But, but then was your stomach making all kinds of noises? I had so much gas. It was uh, and yeah, I, it was the my stomach noises were so loud that I had to clutch a pillow to my belly for the rest of the day. Oh my god, I had a similar I had a similar experience. So the audiobook guest starring. Patty's McDonald's breakfast is is also going to be available on August 29th. Oh my gosh. So I want to talk about the book. You also are such an interesting person with so many fascinating hobbies. You've been an extra on many of my husband's favorite television shows, which I've been told can't talk about them because you've signed an NDA, but wink, wink. They all have star in the title. And (laughs) you do a killer Radiohead karaoke, oh. which we have had the experience of doing together. So there's like a lot of places we could go with this conversation. But I want to start at the beginning. So when you mm-hmm. read my What If Year, you sent me the most beautiful email. It was one I've saved actually in my files. And you wrote in it, you'll see when you read my book that you and I have a lot in common. And besides the fact that the closest I ever got to David Letterman was waiting in line for a ticket in high school in the studio audience and then like not being able to go because I was going to miss the curfew for our dinner at the Moonlight Diner or whatever the hell you do when you go visit New York in high school. (laughs) You were 100% right. And I 
I'm just always amazed how much of the immigrant parent mentality Mm -hmm. is so translatable across different cultures. My family is Mm -hmm. Cuban, your family is Taiwanese, and yet there were so many similarities. So tell me a little bit about little Patty sitting up, eating Doritos, watching TV, and like thinking about her life. Tell me about your childhood. Well, I grew up in Illinois. I was born and raised in Illinois up until I was 11, at which point we moved to New Jersey. But I really still feel like, you know, the Midwest is kind of my hometown. And we lived in a, you know, typical suburban development. And my parents both worked. So my brother and I were latchkey kids. And we would just sit in front of the TV. Our babysitter was the TV. And we would just sit and watch TV for hours and hours and hours, you know, at like reruns of the monkeys and the Brady Bunch. I mean, I, you know, yeah, that was my childhood. And I never thought that I was going to end up working in TV because it just never occurred to me that people could do that. You Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. like, obviously there's somebody who's creating these shows, but like, it just, as a child in that environment, you know, like it wasn't even a dream of mine. So yeah, I was just watching for pure enjoyment, yeah. but obviously all that stuff, like, you know, really seeped into my, my, my soul. <laughs> this is good. This is what I tell myself when I let my children watch so much TV. I'm like, they could be a brilliant writer one day. They <laughs> understand story structure really well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even if they don't, they'll end up, you know, being able to do like, I don't know, trivia games or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Actually, my son would be so amazing on a game show that could, he could win a lot of money that way. Maybe this is yeah. the direction I should be heading in with my parenting. Okay. But anyway, so you didn't yeah. know you wanted to be a TV writer no. and yet you consumed a lot of TV mm-hmm. and then you decide you go to college. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I didn't even know what, that I was going to be a writer, you know? I mean, I, I, I started writing when I was very young, like third Mm. grade and loved it, but again, had no kind of clue that this was something that you could do as a career. Yeah. And I think also that's part of that immigrant experience, you know, it's like, there were certain jobs that were available to us, you know, doctor, lawyer, business person. Yep. There you go. Business person encompassing all says that was, that was pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, writer wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, artist wasn't one of them. You know, I was very into art when I was growing up. I loved to draw and paint and, but that was, that was a hobby. Like that was not something that I was really allowed to pursue. In fact, I didn't even, I didn't even think about pursuing it. Like I, like I don't even remember having a conversation about that with my parents because right. I just knew that it was not viable. So yeah, when I went to college, I majored in communications, thinking that I was going to go into advertising. That was like, that was my plan. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know why that's funny, but. Uh... <laughs> I think it's funny. Now that I know you a little bit and feel like I know you through your book, I just feel like you have a high, like bullshit detector. Yeah. I think we're allowed, I think we're allowed to curse on this podcast. It's my podcast. So Let's do yeah. that. We'll, we'll put an E in the ratings for this one. Okay. And advertising is just, it's kind of all artifice really in, you know, yes. it's all about how you're selling something to somebody. And I'm not sure I could really see, I could see you being good at it. I'm not sure you would Mm-mm. love it though. Well, this is actually a story that's not in my memoir. <gasps> so I, I went to college for, for communications, but that was sort of like a vague 
concept. And, you know, and I didn't, they didn't really have like a lot of courses in advertising specifically. So I didn't really go down that path. Mm -hmm. Then I ended up doing an internship at the Letterman show when I was a freshman and I immediately fell in love with entertainment and, you know, wanted to do that as a career. But right before, like the year before I, before my senior year of college, I thought, you know what? I need to try this advertising thing at least a little bit just to see if that's, you know, something that I want to pursue at all. So I did an internship at an ad agency the summer after my junior year of college. Oh my God. And it was terrible. (laughs) It was so awful. I'm not going to say the name of the agency, but it was a big, very big name agency. Mm-hmm. And the minute I got there, it was like the culture was the culture of that workplace was so foreign to me because I had come from entertainment where mm-hmm. people were super chill. You know, right. everybody was very casual. You know, people wore jeans to work and T-shirts and, right. you know, and and then I and I got to this ad agency and it was like, Suddenly, I had to wear pantyhose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Eh, never do a job with pantyhose, ladies. Yeah, just say, just saying, just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, it was very odd. You know, just like the internship itself had, we didn't really have anything to do. You know, I think that they didn't trust the interns to actually do anything. Mm-hmm. So I was just bored out of my mind. Like I would sit at my desk and I would like work on a on a novel, (laughs) you know, I would go, I would go take like, you know, three hour lunches. And like one time I went to a movie in the middle of the day. (laughs) Okay. You're actually making advertising sound great. So no, no, I didn't just being it, maybe just being an intern. Yeah. The idea of, of getting paid for a job where you have zero responsibility sounds very appealing sometimes. It, no, but it but it really wasn't because I wanted to learn something. Yeah, and of course. I, you you know, were at that early stage yeah. in your career. You were yeah, hungry. Exactly. And I and I when I worked at the Letterman show as an intern, they had us doing we were so busy. Like they had us doing stuff all the time. And yeah, some of it was grunt work, mm-hmm. you know, running errands and and getting people their lunch and stuff like that. But I would rather, as an intern, I would rather do that than just be sitting around like having absolutely nothing to do and no one paying any attention to you and no, yeah. and certainly nobody teaching you anything, you know? So yeah, I mean, I remember going to like a baseball game in the middle of the day. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I did work an early job where I would catch up on a lot of back episodes of Lost and Battlestar Galactica in my little cubicle if I like didn't have that much to do. Wow. But it was it was mostly it was it was a very it was a busy job, but it was also in a way like not so different from TV in that you would have very busy periods and then you'd have very slow periods. So during the slow periods yeah. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? I know this will be productive time. And actually this is a whole so so I have to say there's a whole period of your life where you're writing in TV with one of the lost showrunners, which was my first real uh-huh. like TV obsession. And I can't remember if I told you this already, but I was like in the message boards for lost like big time. I still get an annual email to my oh handle my lost in Miami, which was my <laughs> handle and on my birthday every year. They still wish me a happy birthday because I was like in these message boards. I was so into these shows. But, you know, one of the things that's so amazing about your book is that TV is, it's certainly when I was growing up, and I think it's different now, but, you know, still to some extent, it's 
very immersive. It's such a part of the fabric of your life. And it seems mm-hmm. like working in TV would be very glamorous, all fun and games. You've got these incredible shows. And yet, you know, one of the things that your book really does is takes us behind the scenes of the writer's room to show us it's not all that it seems when you're watching it on the other side of the screen. So mm-hmm. what do you think people are going to find most surprising when they read your book? I think maybe the fact that it's so that it's so chaotic. You know, just that there seems to be a certain randomness (laughs) to the way things are done often, that it's hard to believe that a coherent show comes out of it. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like I'm still surprised by it sometimes. And not everybody has this, you know, I'm just going to say that sort of a have that blanket disclaimer, Mm -hmm. which is that not everybody in the TV business had the same experience as me. And I know that there were shows, there are shows where things are much more organized and people have, you know, there's a procedure, you Mm -hmm. know, that where it's not as crazy. But my experience was just every single, almost every single job that I had was just pure chaos. And, And I think that's probably the thing that will be most surprising. You know, it's like, how did this great show come out of a process where people are literally like, you know, doing it at the last minute and uh, like five, you know, 10 different people are writing different, like disembodied scenes of a show and then stitching them together. And like, you know, I mean, that is how so many of these shows are made. That part was really crazy because Mm -hmm. you watch something and you, you know, you think there's like a, a voice, like a cohesive voice going through, but it's actually a bunch of different writers. And you talk about some instances where you're like, people are just literally throwing jokes out, like throwing jokes and then it doesn't work. You're trying something else and you're trying something else. And of course, some of these things for shows you worked on have become iconic, you know, the Mm -hmm. types of things that people now because of streaming watch a kajillion times over and over. So it was like Mm -hmm. absolutely wild. As a person who has a particular fascination with jobs and how they work, I loved Mm -hmm. that part of the book. But I also, I loved the family part and reconciling this career with your upbringing. And I have to tell you, Mm -hmm. you have a chapter uh, called Lazy. I think Lazy is the title of the chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it is about a period in your career where you take a step back to kind of take some time off and and regroup. And you talk about this feeling of this this sort of huge guilt around feeling you're lazy. Hearing your parents' voice in your head like, oh, you're being lazy because you're not working you know, a kajillion miles a minute. You're not pushing yourself to the end of your limits. And I really think about that. I would say at least once a week, maybe twice a week. I think about that chapter of your book. I do. I think about it all the time. I feel like you articulated something that I also feel, which is this fear that I'm not working hard enough. You know, Uh do you, are you better at that now? This was, you know, many years ago that you were writing about this period. Do you feel like you are better at being lazy now? Oh, that's such a great question. First of all, thank you so much for saying that. The fact that you still think about the book is all the, the time. Gra- it's the greatest compliment. I honestly like because, yeah, it just it just means a lot to me. So thank you. Yes, I am better at being lazy. I am way better. <laughs> I mean, it, look, like after telling the story about going to a baseball game in the middle of the day people are going to think, oh, she was lazy even as a as a college intern. But no. I actually think you no. are very smart and creative using your time. So, but go on. <laughs> yeah. It, trust me that nobody missed me at, at that thing. So I think that I have gotten way better at just being, you know, I mean, when I took that sabbatical in the middle of my career, that was 
very difficult to do because first of all, like you said, you know, the family sort of culture was like, you never, never take a break, you know, mm-hmm. never you, stop you should, working. Yeah. You should always be doing something. You should always be productive. You know, should always have like a side gig or whatever it is, you know? And then the other thing was just, you know, like in TV, in the entertainment business, you know, you don't step away when things are going well for you, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. people are desperate for these jobs. So when, you know, you're just, you're constantly hustling, right? And so it was a really big thing to to say, you know, I'm going to take this self-imposed hiatus from all of that. And I would just be constantly plagued by feelings of guilt and you know, I would see somebody working and I would just like hate myself, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, that person is being so productive. And like, what am I doing? Yeah. And, and it was really hard to, to enjoy myself when that was going on, but it like anything that doesn't come naturally to you, you have to work at it. I mean, like, like that's the irony, right? Is that you have to work at 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 being lazy. (laughs) You have to work at learning true. how, yeah, to learning how to rest and relax. But with practice, you know, you can do it. Yeah. You just you just have to practice it and you have to I think the main thing is just like not letting myself listen to those like voices that say the voices in my head that say you're being lazy, you're not you're not being productive. And I'm not saying that I'm that I've got it all figured out because yeah. I still struggle with it a lot. And and it's funny because like there are certain like ways of being lazy that mm-hmm. feel like they're acceptable because I'm getting something out of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's totally. like levels, right? Of of laziness that are acceptable and less acceptable. So, but I think it's just a lifelong practice. And I and I do think that it's a it's a really worthwhile practice because we all work too hard. We mm-hmm. all push ourselves so too hard. You know what I mean? And I, I I don't I really don't know anybody where I'm like, that really that person really should push themselves harder. <laughs> you know, it's so true. And I do think that for an artist, it is so, so important to be able to let go of that productivity. You know, like as yeah. a TV writer, I felt completely bled dry. You know, the the burnout is it's not just the hours that you're spending in the job mm. and you know it the burnout is a cre- it's a creative burnout where you are just being treated like a machine and that is not how art works yeah. you know like you need as an artist you need time to reflect you need time to just be and you know and i've had experiences where i'll do like a retreat or something where i'm just like you know unplugging from everything and as soon as things really get quiet, I, I suddenly have this burst of creativity and like mm-hmm. all of these ideas come in. Not that that should be a goal, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, you know, that's what happens a lot of times when you do, you know, stop being so busy. Yeah. There's room for other things to flourish. I love that. Yeah. Now, I just think you live this like, so anybody who follows you on Instagram sees so many of your creations. So, okay. So I know you sew. I can see mm-hmm. a sewing machine behind you. I've seen these amazing boxers <laughs> that you've made with your husband, usually as the model. I see. Yes. So that's an enjoyable part of your Instagram. Thanks for that. <laughs> but also you make these amazing costumes. You bake at least once a year, you said. Right? 
Yes. At Christmas, I'll make like a bread. Yeah. It's like one baking activity. Yeah. You are an extra sometimes on shows. And you do these really like elaborate costumes for, I mean, and you like, you really dress up and you look amazing. So did I like name all your hobbies or is that not anywhere near the total list of them? That's pretty much it. Okay. I mean, that I can think of, you know, I mean, I like to, I love to cook just in general. I mean, the baking only happens like infrequently, but, but I cook all the time. I mean, I cook like, you know, three, four nights a week at least. Well, that's good. And I, and I, and I like to cook. Well, there's your karaoke. That I do not do enough. Why? Why, Patty? You're so good. And it was so no, fun. No, I mean, you blew me out of the water when you did your share. Oh my God. I have some acapella. I have some acapella experience. I'm like a ringer when you uh, come to karaoke. I'm like, oh, I'm just here doing it for the fun. Give me a C flat. No. <laughs> no, it was amazing. You had the whole place like in the palm of your hand. Well, we had this amazing time. And so I cannot let you go on this podcast before hearing what are your top go-to karaoke songs for, I mean, could be a variety of moments, but you're sitting there, Uh the book is in front of you. What pages are you flipping to? I would like maybe a top five, but if five is too many, I'll take a top three. Okay, well, Creep by Radiohead. Radiohead. That's the one that I did with you. I actually haven't done this in public but I've done it at home a million times. And this is one of my, you know, dreams is to do Xanadu. <gasps> yeah. And I couldn't find it. it. When we went to that bar in Santa Monica, I couldn't find it in the book. We have Creep, we have Xanadu. Yeah. What's on the Patty hit list? I love Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain Antoniel. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can see that you're not that into that one. I am just really excited to go sing karaoke again. What's <laughs> happening here. And then I would say that sort of the dark horse, this is one that is very hard to find in karaoke bars because it's not, it's not a popular song. It's, it's a Beatles song, but it's not one of their popular ones. And it's called Oh Darling. Oh, I didn't know that song. Oh, it's, it's on Abbey Road. Okay. Which is my favorite Beatles album. I'm a huge Beatles fan and that's my favorite album. And Oh Darling is a song that was written and sung by Paul McCartney, but it sounds like a John Lennon song. Like that's kind Mm. of the beauty of it is that it's got kind of like both of their personalities even in it, even though it was a Paul McCartney song. He, it's just one of those songs where he just belts it the whole time. Just like very bluesy, you know? So that one, and that is completely in my range. So it's a perfect song. I'm going to immediately listen to it after we hang up. Okay, I could kill that in karaoke, but it's never on the list. It will be when we go. I don't know how I'm going to find it, but I will. (laughs) (laughs) Patty, do you have a number five go-to karaoke song before we wrap up this conversation? Because you um, gave me four amazing ones. hmm. I mean, there was a time where I was singing Queen songs constantly on karaoke because we had a... uh, We actually had this thing called Sing Star on our, mm-hmm. I think it was on <laughs> on Sony PlayStation, right? Yeah. And the great thing about that is that y- they show the real videos, the real music videos along with the lyrics. So, so instead of, instead of watching some cheesy, you know, reenactment, they, they, they show the real video. And so I got, and I had the starter kit was like all queen songs <laughs> and I love queen. <laughs> So I would do, you know, crazy little thing called love. I would do under pressure. I love doing under pressure, but that's really, you need 
a partner for that. Yeah, the, that's do, a good do so it. perhaps that's what we'll do together, Patty, <gasps> next time we are in person. Please, please. I would happily be, be Bowie. I don't know. I'd be either. I'd be either. Because you need you need a high voice to do I, I, actually either of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just take the key down a little bit. Or yeah. it doesn't matter because it's going to be karaoke. Well, Patty, I cannot wait for this day to come where we oh. are karaoke again. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Yeah. I had the best time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And everybody get end credits out now, I think, by the time you hear this. It is such an amazing book. I cannot speak more highly of it. I loved it just Thank so, you. so much. Thank you so much. And everybody buy Alicia's book because that's fantastic too. Do that. Do that too. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in today to Extra Shot with Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. A special shout out to the team at Texture Sound for all their support. If you're in the mood for more of me, pick up a copy of my What If Year, which is out now in bookstores everywhere. Sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com or find me on Instagram at aliciafmiranda. I can promise news, views, and memes about Gilmore Girls. If you have feedback, ideas for upcoming segments, burning questions, things you need advice on, please reach out. And otherwise, we'll catch you on the next Extra Shot.